today on Laura Lynn and Friends. How are we going to gain back the trust of the public around any scientific technology? And this is sad, right? Because there are some good technologies and traditional vaccines certainly have had their place in history. But once you lose the confidence of the people, now you're in big trouble. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the beginning of The Last Days. My name is Laura Lynn Tatter-Thompson, and I'm very thrilled today because I'm back on Facebook. Um, but we're not on Facebook right now, are we? No. Uh, good, good, good. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, I just got off a 30-day ban, and uh, that wasn't fair either. I mean, I don't know what is going on. I only tell the truth here, and I used to get away with speaking the truth and not being in trouble on Facebook, and then all of a sudden I was in trouble, like... You know, and I've had several bands, so there must be a, a new fox in the hen house. That's what I'm thinking. So we'll have to deal with that, but that's okay. We're just not going to do all of our best stuff on Facebook. We're going to have to go to the channels that allow that, and that is going to be um, Rumble and BitChute. Are we on YouTube right now? Yeah, so we're on YouTube, and we want to let you know, of course, we've got uh, Dr. Byron Bridal, a fun family favorite around here. We absolutely love him. We've also got Dr. Neil Caro and Dr. Bonnie, and she's uh, she's an amazing woman, and she's going to be um, sharing some of her the things that she's been going through. Um, and so we're going to talk to them in just a few minutes. Uh, Dr. Bonnie uh, Millard, I hope I said that right. We were having good conversation before we got on here. Uh, I do you know what? One of the best things about everything I do is who I get to meet, and I get to meet these people. Uh, you know, through through doing this show, what an honor, you know, what an extreme honor to be talking to the folks that uh, are making a difference, such courage in our nation. Did you have a good weekend? I had a good weekend. Um, I found out that my husband was thrilled. There was a show on TV and it was all about uh, meatloaf. And he was saying, I don't know why they're, you know, they were the, in the show, they were mocking kind of the mom because she's, oh, she's making meatloaf again, right? And, uh, of course, um, that would be just a, like an extraordinary thrill around our joint here if I was making meatloaf. So my husband said, you know, meatloaf, why are they upset about meatloaf? I love meatloaf. So I said to him, you do? That is awesome. I, I can make meatloaf. I'll make meatloaf for you. And then this, this look of fear came over his face, and I knew that he was afraid that I might actually take him up on that because some things that I shouldn't do ever in life is cook. And he said, it's mainly because I add cinnamon to everything. And I do, but cinnamon is really yummy. And a little cinnamon in a meatloaf, which I, apparently I've done before, has not been received well in my family. And so, you know, I'm not going to be doing that again, I guess. And he doesn't want me to cook it for him, but I really shouldn't be complaining too much because I do not have the gift of cooking and I don't even like it at all. So I'm blessed by my girlfriends who and my friends who love to cook. I like to go to their house and mainly we end up going there because the one time that they come to ours, they know that it should never, ever happen again. And so we always end up going to their place. So y'all know that I start my show off by opening my dad's Bible. Um, literally, while the music was going for the start of the show, I'm like, oh no, I never found the verse yet. So I whip it open one page. There's tons of stuff here. Let me see what my dad thought was important. Um, 
Psalms 100, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Then he skipped a verse and he went down to verse four and he, and he underlined, enter into his gates with, thanks, with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. My mom and dad taught me something, that you should never begin your prayers without offering thanks to God for what he's done, that you would literally come before his gates, right into the courtroom of praise before God, that that would be done with thanksgiving. And of course, in a season where we haven't exactly had everything to be thankful for, it's been pretty hard. We haven't been grateful to our country for the way that they've treated us. We've been very upset because, oh, the prime minister wants to bring in digital ID, and I'm sure that you're following that. And, and the prime minister would like uh, every one of our premiers to be forcing us to attach a digital ID to our medical health. So if we want to get, you know, our good Medicare that we get here, um, that we would have to inform them of all of our, you know, are we vaccinated, unvaccinated, personal health um, information that we don't think should go into a digital ID. They're going to tie this to a lot of things. Of course, we have concerns that that won't be the only thing. We're in a country where they can shut down your bank account because they don't like what you say or where you were or how you protested, even if you were in one of the best places on earth, the Freedom Convoy 2022, where I was last year. And uh, this is, you know, do you know tomorrow, Valentine's Day, is actually the one-year anniversary of our prime minister putting in the Emergencies Act, which has been nothing but a nightmare and caused a lot of harm to the good folks of Canada. And so um, we're also watching this Ohio disaster going on. Should we run that quick quick clip and see? And a, a train has just derailed. Um, it's just being reported now another train. So in Ohio, This disaster in East Palestine, Ohio, came about. Of course, we're all concerned about what's going on, you know, with the waterways and all of that. This is one quick video. Let's have a look at at that. Concerns and safety questions after that toxic train derailment one week ago in East Palestine, Ohio. Now, residents are alarmed. Dozens of fish are turning up dead in nearby water. The community was forced to evacuate on Monday as crews burned five tankers filled with toxic chemicals to prevent another explosion. Well, the EPA saying the toxic levels have since returned to normal and residents are allowed to return home. But in a News Nation exclusive, I spoke with environmental advocate Aaron Brockovich about the events unfolding in Ohio, and she has a strong warning for residents. After 30 years of what I've been through and what this community is going through, they know. Come on, it's vinyl chloride. It's in the air. The fish are dying. Really? Does that give you comfort that maybe I should be in this area? Probably not. Renowned consumer advocate Aaron Brockovich weighing in on the East Palestine train derailment, chemical burn, and the all clear given to the community. Not mincing words when I asked if she trusts the EPA and the green light given for residents to return home. Brockovich encouraging residents to document everything they're seeing and trust their own gut. If you feel unsafe, then please get out of harm's way. If you feel unsafe, stay sheltered in place. If you're questioning that it's all clear and you think it isn't, listen to that voice. 
document what's happening to your own health, document or videotape the fish that are dying or as you move about in your community. News Nation obtained video of dead fish in the Ohio River near East Palestine. And questions still remain about the toxic chemical transported in those train cars, vinyl chloride, and its impact on the environment and people. According to the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, exposure to vinyl chloride, a colorless gas, can have a direct impact on your heart and blood vessels, liver, immune system, and development overall. So, wow. Oh, that is absolutely terrible. And then to hear that there's another train wreck just an hour within the last couple hours, looks like. And what area? In Houston area. Um, don't you get the feeling once in a while that somebody somewhere is colluding? I mean, you hear of all these food places that are blowing up. Remember the hydroxychloroquine plants? I, I remember following that carefully because I need hydroxychloroquine. Well, I haven't actually been taking it much lately because I don't seem to be sick after I took ivermectin. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. I, so I've, I've been diagnosed with lupus and I take a whole bunch of ivermectin to deal with COVID. And then I'm not really having the symptoms that I once had. I mean, weird, right? Okay. Well, we don't have all the time to talk about that. But um, just take a look uh, at this B-roll of the China City 15-minute city that they seem to have set up. So this is how you get in and out of a city in China. That does not look cool, does it? It's kind of like when you had to go to the Pacific National Exhibition here in Vancouver to get into all the rides and they didn't want you cheating. Um, and not paying to get in to go on the roller coaster. So you had to you had to go through something like this in order to get in. So apparently in order to get out, this is this is the trouble with what's happening. And we've got all these places that want to put in these 15 minute cities. And so at the end of the show, I'm going to go over that with you. Um, what a world we live in. Absolutely crazy. The thing I am most grateful for is the amazing people that dare to stand. They dare to stand up for what all of us are going through. And today we've got Dr. Byron Bridal, and uh, he is joining us. Of course, you all know uh, him, and he's he's a favorite. I barely need to, um, you know, tell you who he is. Uh, we have today Dr. Uh, Bonnie Millard, and she's the press professor of immunogenetics, immunogenetics, immunogenetics. Uh, Department of Pathobiology, University of Guelph, and she has won two prestigious awards on immunology from the Governor General's uh, Office Award and NSERC Synergy Prize. Maybe she'll tell us a little bit more about that as well. And also we want to welcome Dr. Neil Caro, and he has a degree in toxicology and PhD degree in oh, immuno, immunotoxicology immunotoxicology, uh, and those were attained from the University of Waterloo, Ontario. Dr. Carroll completed a postdoctoral fellowship in the Department of Pharmacology and Toxicology, Medical College of Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University. So we welcome all of these incredible people. And of course, we know that uh, Dr. Bridal, you have uh, had great experience dealing with um, immunology and also cancer and things like that. We welcome you back to the show. Um, thank you so much for taking of your time to be here. I understand that you're kind of cooped up there uh, hiding from the family so you can get one of these um, videos done in your basement. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, normally I would do these kind of interviews from my workplace uh, in my office specifically. Um, 
but but like you because i i got in some trouble for speaking the truth and was became unpopular a couple of years ago so yeah here i am uh, we have a tiny little house and yeah so there's my two two boys are home and my wife um and so really the only spot that i can uh, uh connect us right at the moment is in this little corner of my basement so yeah well, so compared to the others i got a, i got a lot more clutter in behind me but it's uh <laughs> you know that's because it's typical of sort of basement storage right right well <laughs> this, we is, are this just... is my life these days yeah so, yes. so what's interesting is um yeah, this little spot here i don't know it's maybe eight feet by 12 feet um this has been my world for my research uh my teaching um, and my service to the scientific community now for um, well, we're now over a year and a half. Wow! Yeah, this, this is this is where my work happens. Right. Thank you for what you've done. And uh, you know, one of the things that's happening right now, uh, Dr. Bridal, is I'm getting a lot of um, emails with people that want to find out what they can do because their loved one is injured and has some sort of vax injury going on. And uh, you talk a lot about having our bodies, you know, having good immunity and also natural immunity, which thank God so many of us have now. Um, what, what can you shed light on, on some of those issues and what people can do? Oh, is this? Oh, you know, for some reason, we've lost your audio. Oh, sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I had muted. That's all right. right. That's all right. <laughs> Yep. So yeah, so I'll, yeah, I can give a sort of a general introduction maybe, and then I'll turn it sure. over to Dr. Caro, who can go into some of the specifics and explain to your audience why. Okay. So so the so the issue really is this, right? Um, what we're talking about is there, there, there's two long-term health issues that people are dealing with at the moment uh, that are related to, you know, still carrying over from the uh, COVID-19 uh, disease, right? They've been dealing with for the past three years. So now, by and large, for the variants that are circulating, they're not particularly dangerous. They're highly contagious, but not particularly dangerous, uh, very much like the cold. Uh, and many colds are caused by um, similar coronaviruses. Uh, but there are you know, a couple of, of chronic issues that have sort of emerged from this. One is this uh, concept of long COVID, right? So some people who get infected with the SARS coronavirus 2 which is the causative agent of the disease that we call COVID-19, some of those individuals end up uh, not having all of the uh, signs and symptoms of disease resolve relatively quickly. Um, in fact, they carry on um, for months at a time. And, uh, and actually, some people, I guess, we'll see how long they, they carry on for. Now, and then, and then what's interesting is um, there are some people who have received a COVID-19 and, and quotes vaccine, right? I, again, I, and I could always explain why I don't consider them to be, certainly, well, certainly according to the Canadian definition, Health Canada's definition, these COVID-19 shots are as far from being, and what Health Canada would define as an ideal vaccine, right? As far away from an ideal vaccine as you can possibly get. Um, but uh, so some people get these shots are experiencing signs and symptoms after receiving the shot that are very similar to what has been defined as long COVID. Um, and so th there's some interesting potential mechanisms there. Uh, and Dr. Carroll can explain that. But um, but yeah, there, there are things that people can do. Uh, and and we can maybe get into that after Dr. Carroll has explained the, the, the mechanisms. There's, um, yeah. So I'll turn yeah. it over to Dr. Carroll, who has some real insights on that Absolutely. problem. Absolutely. And, and what we'll say then now, we'll, we'll let you introduce yourself, Dr. Carroll. 
and uh, and then maybe um, Dr. Bonnie, if if you want to do that as well, and then we're going to say goodbye to YouTube. So do an an introduction of who you are, Dr. Carroll. Sure. Uh, so uh, thank you very much, Laura Lynn, for uh, bringing us on the show. It's great to to be here today. Um, so my background is in uh, immunotoxicology. It's what I did my PhD in. It was actually in environmental toxicology, specifically related to how pollutants affect the immune system. Um, but in subsequent years, um, I've, I've been doing a lot of work with different types of toxins. We've got um, fungal toxins, we call them mycotoxins. We've got bacterial toxins. We do a lot of work with a, um, a bacterial toxin from gram-negative bacteria, actually. Um, and then more recently, uh, viral toxins. So um, Byram's comment about the mechanisms is actually quite complex and, and it, it may not be the same for everybody. Um, it seems as though it could be an autoimmune response that's occurring in part, but I've also uh, do, uh, done a lot of reading recently and, and it seems like some people manifest uh, almost like they have a mast cell activation syndrome. And this is, is common to both um, uh, long COVID patients and to patients with uh, a vaccine adverse reactions. Now there's also some neurological problems that occur as well. And, I, and I'm not sure, uh, that would not be my area of expertise, but the mast cell activation syndrome is quite interesting. So one of the treatments that's being explored is using different types of antihistamines for the treatment um, and, uh, and, or, and uh, as a kind of um, natural approach would be to be on a low histamine diet. Mm -hmm. And those are things that we can incorporate into our, into our changing our lifestyle. Um, but um, I find that really fascinating actually, and, and, and somewhat concerning. Um, we, as part of the uh, Canadian COVID care Alliance, uh, one of the tasks that I was given early on was to uh, review a protocol that a, a South African doctor, Dr. Chetty, uh, had put together um, and this was he was using this for early treatment of covid because they didn't have access to vaccines at that time and and fascinatingly enough uh antihistamines were on that one of the list of drugs um that he had um, found was effective and so that's just one approach um that's being used but uh the Maybe. so the another area is is it an autoimmune response so that's up to debate Another question is, are we continuing to shed spike protein? Are we continuing to produce it? I just saw a paper today where they've shown that you can continue producing the mRNA 28 days after you've been vaccinated. And people who have got long COVID may actually still have the infection. So they may still be producing uh, spike protein, which is toxic. Um, another scenario is that... Um, we've we've ramped up the immune system so strongly um excessive inflammation like we need inflammation to mount an immune response it's an innate response that's a part of our body and and um the problem is uh if it's if it's ramped up too high it can shut down um and so we don't respond possibly, as well possibly later on. what could be going on i'll um I'll let uh, Dr. Bonnie do a brief introduction because I want to hear everything you're saying and then we're <laughs> going to come right back to you and then we're just going to let go of YouTube in a moment. Did you do it? Oh, oh, I already did. Okay. Well, then you might as well, you might as well just keep talking about what you're talking about. We just, yeah, we just let them oh, go I in see. case they get, you know, funny about it. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, so in, in the case of inflammation, I mean, excessive inflammation can shut down the immune response. Um, and we actually do that experimentally in our lab. It's, it's a, called an immune tolerance response. And, and so that may make people more susceptible to other types of infections. Um, so that's one scenario. A another scenario is that people continue to get vaccinated. They're continuing to expose themselves self to spike protein, which they could potentially become allergic to, or the immune system would develop tolerance to, so they become non-responsive. Those are speculation right now. But one thing that we can certainly say is that as we continue to be immunized or even get, uh, or even get COVID again, um, when you produce spike protein, your immune system will recognize cells that produce that spike protein and they will kill them. So when we're trying to boost our immune response through this vaccination program, we're telling our body, we're basically, our body is a bioreactor producing more spike protein. And every time we do that, our immune system will respond and destroy the tissues that are producing it. Oh. So it's not an easy, it's not an easy answer. It's not Is that what some people call many... the cytokine uh, storm? Is that the same, well, do you think? That cytokine storm is an example of we need inflammation, but if it's excessive, it can cause huge uh, damage to the whole body. It'll right. shut down. We end up dying of sepsis. Oh. Dr. Yeah. Bonnie Millard, um, welcome. And, uh, you know, I understand actually that, I mean, this is right up your field, all, all of this stuff on immunology, and you've won a couple of awards, if you might just tell us what those were for and, and how you got those. Yeah, so first, hi, Laura Lynn, thanks for inviting me on. You know, you were talking about cinnamon right off the top, <laughs> and so I just have to say, you know, cinnamon not only tastes good, but it does have anti-inflammatory properties, so you just keep putting it in the stuff that you like and don't worry about that. I love That's cinnamon. That's fantastic. Well. well, I'm glad to know that there's actually good use to it. I have it in my coffee. I just love yep. cinnamon. But, you know, a little bit too. too much cinnamon in the spaghetti and the family's uh, up in arms yeah. about it. So yeah, well, I'm you know, it's stop. pretty strong. But I just wanted you to know, like, it does have some benefits. Um, so anyways, I'm professor of immunogenetics. And what does that mean? Um, that means my research program looks at genetic regulation of the immune system. And so why is that pertinent? It's because everybody's immune system is slightly different. There are about 5,000 genes that regulate the immune system. And so when we see uh, an infectious pathogen, we will respond a bit differently. And that also includes to the vaccine. And so we know uh, not everyone responds the same uh, to, to an infection. You know, I always, when I was teaching, I'd say, you know, if I blew a virus in here, flu virus, for example, we know some people would not get sick at all. Some people would get mildly sick, others moderately, and some severe, and some might die. Why? Well, it has to do with the genetics of your immune system. So I've spent my whole career looking at that. 
looking at preventative strategies um, that bolster immunity. That does include vaccines. It includes immunoceuticals. It includes for veterinary species um, methods to naturally select animals that have the most enhanced immunity, identify who those are, and breed those animals together so that moving forward, they're taking these beneficial genes into their offspring. And so um, I've won awards for this work. I've been a research and teaching professor for 30 years, won the Governor General's Award, won a Pfizer Award early in my career, which is you know, a little bit ironic, maybe. Um, the NSERC Synergy Prize, many I've published widely and worked with multiple species, actually. And uh, so this is, you know, mice, rabbits, chickens, pigs, uh, some sheep, uh, like just all kinds of species. And why is this pertinent today? Because most of the epidemics and pandemics are coming from animal species. So we need to you know, we need to understand uh, about these species and what kind of diseases they produce and which ones might be transmissible to humans. And this is these are called zoonotic wow. diseases. So when it yeah, all so came out about the bat, area. yeah, what did you yes. think? You would you would have had like your ears totally Ooh. perked up to yeah. what's going on yeah. from this bat virus, okay, right? So I could talk all day about that because, you know, um, a colleague of mine who you've probably interviewed Michael Palmer from Waterloo, Professor Michael Palmer. I was chatting with him very early on and he said, Bonnie, I'm going to just send you some sequences, all the sequences that he was able to compile from various sources. And he said, you just look at them and you kind of see what, what you think. And, you know, early on there was evidence. I, there was many people speaking out, including Nobel laureates like Luke Montagnier saying, you know what, there's evidence here that this sequence has been um, tinkered with, probably in a lab. But early days, no matter, you know, it was very hard to get that message out. Now, I think it's common knowledge. This is this was a lab strain. Right. So, you know, we knew early on the evidence was there. We were talking about it amongst ourselves, but somehow, you know, we could not get that out to the public. And again, I think it's because they, you know, the powers that be, you know, they didn't want to frighten anyone. Well, they frightened everyone anyways. And I'm a big believer that we need to tell people the truth because they're not dumb. You know, the, they can figure stuff out. People can figure stuff out. You don't need to be an immunologist, but we can give information to the public and they will figure it out for themselves. So it that was definitely there early on. Yeah. Mm, absolutely fascinating. And I, I think, um, you know, uh, going back to Dr. Bridal, that, you know, after we've had this information and, you know, we've just been, we have been uh, terrified like uh, Dr. Uh, Millard is mm -hmm. saying we we're just uh, we've actually all gone through some sort of you know post-traumatic stress yeah. and we're all working yes. our way through it because we've been terrified um, and not just by the virus actually because I, I wasn't afraid of the virus I I actually was hoping I might get COVID and I was licking stuff you know and try to yeah. make sure that I would get it and get natural immunity because I was quite sure I wasn't going to take the uh, the vaccine 
And now I even have a document only from a lab in the US um, in Bellingham when I was over the border as a United States um, citizen. I'm, I'm Canadian and American. And so coming back, I think, from a trip down there to Costa Rica, I went into a lab and I said, I'd like you to tell me if I have immunity. And sure enough, I have something there that seems to say that I have immunity. Mm -hmm. But I think what we got scared about, too, was the way that our government has uh, reacted mm -hmm. and treated us. It's been yeah. a terrifying yeah. journey, a roller yes. coaster of pain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. now, You'd be afraid of one thing or another, uh, oh, the way they did this. For right? sure. Yeah. I mean, sure. it's it's interesting that you mentioned the test for immunity because yeah. right near where you are in Vancouver, a colleague of ours, uh, Dr. Steve Pellick, I don't know if you've interviewed him, but he tested all of us to see if we had been exposed um, and if we had evidence of naturally acquired immunity. And we did. So we, again, knew uh, quite early on that we had been exposed. And if uh, that exposure could have been used instead of a, a vaccine certificate, right? And But no one, again, wanted to talk about naturally acquired immunity. It was if naturally acquired immunity had somehow lost its currency, um, and it hadn't. But but we could not use that as evidence. And I see Byram wants to comment because that impacted him very strongly. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I, well, I just think it's interesting, Bonnie, in light of what you were just talking about, right, with the uh, genetic diversity. Uh, so when you have an outbred population, Laura Lynn, right, uh, like people, we're, we're, we're all very genetically diverse. It's just like Bonnie said, her research is showing very clearly that you that the immune response in a population it follows a bell-shaped curve and most people respond moderately well and you have some people a few at the at the one tail right on the bell-shaped curve that will respond uh very robustly but then you have people as a group on the other end that are low responders uh, or non-responders don't even respond at all and so i think it yeah. ties in nicely with what dr Miller was just talking about because Here's an example of, you know, you have to ask yourself, why were we administering these shots? And what, what bugs me is the, the, the public health and government officials who are pushing this, I am not convinced they were administering it for the right reason. The, the whole purpose of, a, of administering a vaccine is to confer immunity, right? The, the concept of vaccination is very exquisite it's it's a beautiful concept right it's this idea that you try and mimic a natural immune response because that's a gold standard and but you do it by tricking your body into thinking that it's got an infection but it doesn't right but, but it thinks it does so it responds and you don't have to be exposed to the illness or the risk associated with the illness um, because you're not actually getting the pathogen right so that, that it's a really elegant concept but the whole purpose is to generate an immune response and actually get people protected against the pathogen and yet we uh, a lot of canadians don't realize uh, early on we actually had a task force set up Cameron. to evaluate uh like do we call serological testing which just means take a blood sample and see whether you're getting antibodies against the SARS-CoV-2 right which is the virus that causes COVID-19 and if you have those antibodies it means you've been exposed it means you've been infected but more importantly it's evidence evidence that you have some degree of immunological protection against the virus um and that's the purpose of giving a vaccine is to generate an immune response and yet we did not we did nothing to measure these immune responses. And the technology was there. Like, like Dr. Millard said, our, our good colleague, Dr. Pellick at the University of British Columbia, 
had a great he ran a, a great uh, human clinical trial looking at uh, immune responses to to this virus and we could have run this testing and we could have got, got evidence of immunity and this is what uh, really drives me bonkers is this whole concept of you know I, i'll never forget i showed to my institution to the administrators at my university our university right for the three of us here um proof that i had generated a robust really broad-based immune response against SARS-CoV-2. I had proof of immunity and I showed it to them, but I was not allowed to come onto my campus, right? And nor was I allowed to, I had to drop all my sports activities, all my extracurricular activities, right? Because I didn't have a, a piece of paper that certified that I, that somebody saw two needles go into my shoulder. And I can't highlight enough. I think it's beautiful with what Dr. Millard just pointed out, right? You could have, so you could have somebody like myself or, or like you, uh, Laura Lynn, right? When you, you get tested, right? So if you have evidence of immunity, like that is actually what starts giving you confidence that you have protection and that you're right. actually going to be one of the safest people to yeah. be around, right? And the yeah. way I like to put it as, what if you're one of these relatively rare non-responders, Right. So they have they stand beside you and they have a certificate that said two needles went into my shoulder. Right. Meanwhile, they have not mounted an immune response whatsoever. They have zero protection. And then you could have somebody standing right beside them showing people their antibody response, showing that they have evidence of some degree of immunity against the virus. There's no question that that second person is safer to be around. Right. And yet. The other person could go anywhere they wanted with that certificate and the person who actually had proof of some amount of immunity could go nowhere you know that's and how I think crazy that's where this it, whole system was it, it, and that's where it became illogical like yes. common sense how the window um because if you could show you had immunity and in some countries if you could even show that you had been infected and recovered, that was sufficient. Uh, so, you know, it, it wasn't logical. And in our department, for example, there were actually, you could be tested as well. You could have a rapid test, but they would only use the rapid test on people who had been vaccinated. I mean, again, like a lot of, this was part of the, I think how people, really caught on that this does not make sense. Never before in my career have I seen such common sense just go out the window. Um, the other thing I want to mention, though, too, is this whole thing about dose. Because in all traditional vaccines, we know precisely the amount of protein antigen that an individual is immunized with. But what's different about these vaccines, it has never been discussed to my satisfaction anywhere, is what dose of actual SARS-CoV-2 spike protein are individuals producing. And because I'm a geneticist, I know that it will not be the same for each person. But first of all, we have to know, and we don't, because each person becomes a factory, their own factory for producing the spike protein. And you, Laura Lynn, may produce a lot. Dr. Bridal may produce less. An elderly person may produce less. Someone who is very young with high metabolism may produce more. So what does this mean? This means everybody could be making 
a different amount of spike protein. In other words, they're getting a different dose. Now, when in history, when has that ever occurred? No. If I said to you folks, here, I have a bottle here and uh, it's a drug and you take it, but I'm not going to tell you what dose to take. You just take as much or little as you feel like, right? I don't know the dose even, so it doesn't matter. I mean, nobody would ever do such a thing, but this is exactly what we've done. And, and again, why can't we stop to discuss this issue? No, people, we weren't allowed to even talk about these things which are quite common sense. And this is one thing I think that set off a lot of alarm bells with people. And so here's the thing. How are we going to gain back the trust of the public now around any scientific technology? And this is sad, right? Because there are some good technologies and traditional vaccines certainly have had their place in history. But once you lose the confidence of the people, now you're in big trouble because they don't know who to trust. And so they're not going to take anything you give them. They don't trust big pharma. They don't trust the scientists. I, I really, I, I'm really keep wrestling with that question: how yeah, to rebuild We have all lost trust. trust. In fact, we just put a, a, yeah. a tweet up of Dr. Mackis, and I mean, in in uh, in British Columbia, Bill 36 is just so hampering to every doctor. Uh, they could be fined two hundred thousand dollars, lose their license. They're asking doctors to to rat out each other. And potentially, they will be forced absolutely to have the vaccine or they will not be allowed to practice. So very problematic. And they won't practice. They'll quit. You know, at this point, people who aren't going to take it have their really sound reasons for it. So now, if I, you know, if I'm looking at it as a Canadian and I can only go to a doctor who will comply with every single thing yeah. they're told by the medical association and not think their way through it, I and as a patient, safe. no. And so these doctors, these good doctors, these physicians that have been willing to say, well, let's talk about the other side of the coin. Instead of allowing the public to hear that, we're back to this transparency issue. Instead, what they've done is discard those, those physicians painted them as bad apples, you know, and there's not like one or two. We're talking of thousands of doctors. I know so many that retired. They said, I might as well retire because, you know, they're going to suspend my license. And then you get, you know, just great doctors. And we've known many of them and they've essentially had to they've step had to. aside. Dr. Dr. Bridal, were, no were you? Yes. Yeah. I, I think that's happened. Uh, they'd rather give it all up uh, because they just, mm-hmm. they can't comply with any of this. Mm-hmm. And yet the treatments they were doing are the treatments that we still need for people with long COVID or people who have had vaccine injuries. 100%. hundred percent. Uh, this has created a crisis, incredibly. right? It's, it's, it's created yeah. a crisis Big in crisis. Canadian um, mm-hmm. medical, yeah. you know, places everywhere. Yeah. Dr. Bridal. Cause what, one of the things, uh, yeah. And one of the things we didn't point out really clearly, Laura Lynn, right. That is the common link between the long COVID following natural disease and um, the problems that are very similar to long COVID following uh, receipt of a vaccine, you know, the common link is the spike protein. 
and many of us were pointing that out a long time ago, right? Uh, I'll never forget. So even to this day, Laura Lynn, like I, I, somebody from the public just sent me a tweet from one of our colleagues, right? For the three of us here, one of our colleagues at our institution who has been going at me incessantly for, you know, a couple of years now, um, put out yet again this idea that, you know what, uh, they didn't use my name this time, but I know when they're talking about me and so do members of the public. And and they put out this uh, message yet again, which they were uh, harping on about a year and a half ago, right? That even when authors of papers, like, so I was accused of misquoting authors, uh, you know, uh, and, and what they, what their data were saying and papers that they published. And not at all. They, I'll never forget this. The, the one, the one, the one thing that, fact check uh laura lynn that keeps haunting me to this very day and this is what this colleague you know brought up again is uh i i cited a paper where they were showing how how what the, how the virus how sars-cov-2 causes damage right um and what we call this when you're studying how a virus causes damage to the body it's called uh, pathogenesis right it's it's how the the pathogen actually causes disease right what is the harm that's actually caused in the body that leads to us experiencing this disease and what they had done is they, they showed that the spike protein was the primary component causing harm to epithelial cells in the uh, respiratory system, right? And so again, that shows that shows proof of principle. And I was looking at, and it wasn't just one paper. I was looking at a whole bunch of papers, right, where they were showing that the primary component, the 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 main piece of the virus, right, that was causing damage to our body and that was responsible for causing the disease that we call COVID-19, was the spike protein, right? Um, and then when I saw the biodistribution study, right, uh, and data from the Japanese government that they had got from Pfizer. Uh, you know, I put the two and two together. My goodness, if the spike protein can get through the body, um, and I know that it's not part of the vaccine, but as we now know, the vaccine can go anywhere throughout the body, and then it gets cells throughout the body, manufacturing the spike protein, and some of these do get into circulation, they go, they go even further. Um, that was the po whole point, putting two and two together. Uh, the spike protein is the number one part of the virus causing damage. And so that's the common link now between the long COVID and these long-term uh, side effects that people are experiencing from the vaccines. And I'll never forget, because I just want to sort of uh, cover this topic. So one of the papers, one of the several papers that I cited showing how the spike protein could cause harm, I'll never forget to this day, um, people contacted the authors and said, this guy is using your paper to show that the spike protein could potentially be causing harm in, in the body, right? That, that, that's being, the spike protein being generated from the vaccine. And never forget the authors, and this has been the most cited fact check against me, right? The authors said, oh, no, 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 he's absolutely wrong. What we showed is that if you've had the vaccine, um, antibodies can bind to the spike protein and they clear it. Right, that's how the antibodies work. The antibodies that we're generating are against the spike protein, and so they mop up the spike protein, and so it can't cause any harm in the body. And to this day, I have colleagues who cite this fact check and say, see, this guy does not know what he's talking about. Authors of these own papers have told us that he didn't understand the paper. And I'm telling you, Laura Lynn, it's, it's, it's almost laughable. The authors of these papers did not understand the limitations of their papers. They are not immunologists. And so at first glance, people think, oh, yeah, well, if there's antibodies against spike protein and they mop it up, then how can spike protein cause damage? So I just want to put something out to your listeners, right? If they've been hearing these kind of messages is when that needle goes in the shoulder, 
right? Uh, for the first time, you get your first vaccine. What people have to understand is where are the antibodies, right? There are no antibodies, right? And see, that's what the, the authors of this paper didn't even understand, right? Um, we can always take information from a paper and apply it to other scenarios, right? So it takes several days before you even start to generate antibodies. So when somebody first gets that needle, there's several days before antibodies are starting to be produced. You're giving the needle to try and induce an immune response, try and generate antibodies. You don't have them immediately. So there's for those several days that spike protein could be anywhere in the body doing whatever it wants and there are no antibodies, right? So that's one of the infamous fact checks uh, that, that went up against me. Um, but I just wanted to point that out because it, it's, it's interesting. And then you think about it, what happens upon the second or subsequent doses? We come back to what Dr. Carroll was talking about, right? There is no spike protein in the actual vaccine formulation. So at that point, yes, you have antibodies. Once you've either had a natural infection or you've got your first dose, you now have antibodies that are spike specific, but there's no spike in the in the vaccine. What, how does it work? It goes throughout the body and the lipid nanoparticles fuse with cells and dump the messenger RNA into the cells and then our cells start manufacturing it. And this, is, this, and this links together nicely with this toxic effect that Dr. Carroll was talking about because what happens? There's antibodies, but the first time there's spike protein is when cells throughout the body are manufacturing it and start to display it on the surface. And then guess what? All of our cells that have manufactured that spike protein and are showing them on the surface now become targets. So you see how that comes full circle? And so we have, this is a big problem. I appreciate you, Laura Lynn, having, like here's, look, we have three senior immunologists from one institution here. And we have had way too many people um, becoming these pseudo experts on vaccines, which is a subdiscipline of immunology. And they don't, under, they don't understand the limitations of their own studies. They don't understand the limitations of their own ability to interpret the data, their own, let alone others. And, uh, and those of us who are able to piece together all of these you know, data uh, have been crushed for a couple of years. But you can see yeah. how when you actually well, get people talking, yeah, that's right, Barb. They should have been encouraging, you know, counter. Normally in science, we would encourage to hear all perspectives and kind of sort it through. This is the first time really in my career where you couldn't actually put out this information and just just debate it right in open forum. And instead, you know, the debates are taken to different platforms. Uh, now, but you can see there's three immunologists here, but I can tell you, we have met and talked literally with hundreds of immunologists and infectious disease experts, but the public doesn't get to hear that kind of debate, not right. on, not on mainstream media. Right. So it's a, it's a bit of unusual circumstance right. here. Well, I, I would want to, yeah, Dr. Caro, if uh, you yep. could weigh in on this with your knowledge. Yeah. And also, to, to follow up, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, to follow up on uh, Bonnie's comment about dose, and, and this uh, complements what Byram is saying. We, we we don't know how much each of us produces. We also don't know where we produce it because that's likely different from person to person, and for how long. And even if we produce antibodies, that doesn't necessarily mean that those are neutralizing antibodies. Uh, we know, for example, um, that. Um, cells can shed these little vesicles, we call them exosomes, that express the spike protein. So those are circulating throughout your body. They can go anywhere in your body. So toxicity could occur anywhere where those vesicles are. But 
when the antibodies bind to those exosomes, um, I can't see any reason why the complement system wouldn't also be activated, which can trigger clotting. So it, once you get this inflammation occurring, it can go downhill very quickly. Um, and, and it becomes a systemic response. So is that the problem that's, that's right. happening with these athletes and, and whatnot? Like I'm hearing one shot is, is not, you know, it's not great, but it seems to be a cumulative effect. And now we're seeing sudden adult death. I'm getting a lot of, a lot more males now, emails about um, people and their loved ones are having strokes, heart attacks yeah. or passing away. Yeah. And, and lots of injured students. I, I've got a, and, and what I find very frustrating is I keep bumping into them. And I got a student in my class is five times vaccinated. And uh, they went to the doctor to try to get help because they've been chronically sick since. And they're taking a corticosteroid puffer. And um, I can't remember what the other treatment was, but clearly the doctor has no idea what, yeah. how to treat this person. Yeah. It's very, it's and doesn't want to say out loud. So uh, I have a girlfriend and she went to three different doctors. She's been dealing with some health issues. Um, she was um, not, we weren't really friends in the beginning. And she started watching my information that I get from you good folks. And she had already taken three shots because of the position she held um, in, yeah, I won't even say. And so she's been to three different doctors uh, this last few weeks for constant problems she's dealing with and every single one of them quietly to her as she said I think this is the vaccine and this started with the vaccines and every single one of them said yeah we absolutely agree and one doctor looked like he had tears in his eyes because he said I don't think we know what we've unleashed hmm. no and they need to and there are doctors that are working at this right um, but I guess this kind of brings us a little bit full circle to say, well, how do we help these folks? Like, yes. how do we, uh, you know, we need to spend some time thinking about, you know, how to optimize uh, immune response. And it is entirely possible. And something very simple, for example, like vitamin D, you know, it took a lot of flack. I, I mean, it can't hurt you. Why wouldn't you at least entertain the notion of taking vitamin D, especially in Canada in the winter time, <laughs> you know, right. when we know a lot of people are deficient. So again, that was a real disconnect for me. And then they even say, well, there's no proof, but you can go back through decades of literature showing the important role that vitamin D, for example, plays in immune function. And um, we wrote actually an article on that. I'll just hold it up here if anyone wants to read it. I don't know if you can see it, but anyways. Yeah, right in front of uh, this, yeah so it's about immunoceuticals. It's in a very prestigious journal called Nutrients, and it's entitled Immunoceuticals Harnessing Their Immunomodulatory Potential to Promote Health and wellness. There it is. Um, and if you, you know, go through that, just kind of scroll through, you'll see we list immunoceuticals. But not only that, we give um, a, a literature as to the clinical trials that have been done. Yeah, keep scrolling up there, you'll see some tables. Um, you know, the clinical trials that have been done, 
that just shows you what an immunoceutical actually is. So it's a simply a nutraceutical modulates the immune system in a beneficial way. And that's just some examples, but go to the tables. So you'll see things like, what do we have here? Vitamin D, you'll see the results of some of the clinical trial. We have over 200 references in this paper. Now, there's no doubt if an individual is stressed, this has an impact on the immune system. And so we, at the very least, need to try to do everything we can to optimize immune health. And there's some simple things, and that's like vitamin D. And a lot of people are taking vitamin D, but they still don't know if they're taking enough. They don't know if it's getting to the right place. So, you know, we've been involved in devising a vitamin D home test kit, which we hope to launch fairly soon. So people can actually test their vitamin D and see, well, how much do I have and how much should I have? And then they can start to, you know, take the appropriate products. But it's not just vitamin D. There's a lot of stuff that we can look at. And in the paper, we talk about quercetin. We talk about vitamin A. We talk about omega-3 fatty acids. We even talk about melatonin. I mean, there's a lot of immunoceuticals and these should not be poo-pooed and this paper has 200 references again from peer-reviewed articles so we're not just talking off the top of our heads here you know we back up everything we say with the literature it's it's out there what is baffling is that we cannot seem to get the message onto you know mainstream where people can hear and decide for themselves what they want to do Byram, I see. Yeah, well, uh, go for it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just wanted to uh, point out for your viewers, Laura Lynn, it's it, it was actually shocking for us as immunologists when very early on during this declared pandemic, our, our federal minister of health, Patty Hadju, actually declared vitamin D to be fake science, right? This concept that, that vitamin D could help uh, prevent infectious diseases such as um, COVID-19. And what, what, what's phenomenal about that is as immunologists, we understand that vitamin D is one of the many nutrients, right? Natural uh, nutrients that, that is plays a critical role in how the immune system functions. Our immune system cannot function optimally with if we do not have a sufficient concentration of vitamin D in our bodies. And it is frightening that they that such a declaration was made and and, we, and remarkably we have so-called misinformation gurus in canada which i'll tell you, i don't even know how that exists i think this is a very dangerous trend it's like the um ministry of truth right, right. Uh, that, that we all read about growing up um because let's say if there's inf misinformation these people must also then be able to define what's truth right um but they're declaring like they're there it's like an all-out attack on things like vitamin d natural products that can support optimal function of the immune system and and vitamin d is a great example because a lot of people are aware that vitamin d can help out the immune system right if you go to the store and you pull off a vitamin you know a bottle of vitamin d it'll usually say right on it'll have a message saying to improve immune function or something to that effect now this is the thing laura Liff, because we have to correct the record because People who have been listening to the mainstream media well have learned that, you know, vitamin D is not that important. It's not, it can't do much in the context of, of infectious diseases and so on. Now, there is a maximum concentration of vitamin D that you can have. Uh, and, and if you go above that, 
it can start becoming toxic, okay? That, that's reality. But what people don't realize is the dose you need to take for it to become toxic is ridiculously high, way higher than people would ever appreciate. We cover this in this paper that Dr. Millard just talked about. So there are physicians who will routinely uh, take, you know, 10,000 international units a day, and they have for their whole life, and they're fine, right? Uh, I personally take 5,000 international units a day, and it's, it's perfectly fine. You have to get up to like, and there are there are uses where people will do like um, short term, like single doses of up to 50,000 international units. You wouldn't want to do something like that on a regular basis because that would become toxic. Okay, but the thing that your listeners have to understand is when it comes to vitamin D in Canada right now, our, our recommendation for vitamin D supplementation mainly focuses on older people and also emphasizes women because of osteoporosis. And people say that's where our recommendations come from, is from bone physiology. Um, so, to, so to have optimal uh, bone density, right, especially as we age, vitamin D is important for oh. ensuring uh, that you have the strongest bone structure possible, okay? That, that, that's, that's a reality. But the need that the that our bones have for vitamin D is far less than the than the needs of our immune system. And the best way to put this into context, Laura Lynn, is you know, I'm I'm also a cancer researcher. A lot of people will appreciate, you know, can cancer is when you have uncontrolled growth of cells, right? Um, very rapid. So the, the, the it's, what's very interesting is, so, so in other words, a lot of people have in their mind, cancer cells can replicate ridiculously fast, okay? The only cells in the body that can compete with cancer cells and sometimes outcompete cancer cells for their ability to replicate, right, to divide and proliferate and reach higher numbers are effector cells of the immune system. Things like our B cells when they get activated by a vaccine or a natural infection and things like our T cells. Uh, they can replicate uh, and, and the metabolic requirements of effector cells in our immune system are ridiculously high, way above what is needed for bone physiology. So people have to recognize that. Our nutrition guidelines, when it comes to vitamin D, underestimate our needs for an optimally functioning immune system. All right, so that's what your listeners have to understand. Uh, it's very, very important. And, and the reality is, as long as you have an immune system that is not functioning optimally, guess what? You're going to be more susceptible to diseases, especially things like infectious diseases. That's just the nature of it. The best thing that our public health and government officials could be doing is promoting the, the intake of these natural components that our highly metabolically active immune system requires to function optimally. If you have a population where everybody's immune system is, is functioning as optimally as it could be through natural means, you're going to have a much healthier population on average. You're gonna have a lot less disease burden. And this is what we should be promoting. We shouldn't be promoting this stuff as misinformation. The people promoting this as misinformation are not immunologists and they don't understand these concepts. Um, and so then, you know, we get into the whole concept of it's not just vitamin D. Vitamin D is a group of a class of um, uh, natural products that we would call immunoceuticals. And immunoceuticals fall under the broader umbrella of nutraceuticals. Okay, and what, so, so what an immunoceutical is, it's a nutraceutical that is known to um, optimize the functioning of one or more components of the immune system. And, and, on, on, and on that lines, um, maybe, uh, Neil, uh, you know, Dr. Carroll could maybe uh, let your listeners know we have um, uh, some ideas around how people could um, 
optimize, learn to optimize their vitamin D concentration. Yes. Yes, and and, and also the other Carol, thing, I don't know, Neil, us. if you want to, actually, maybe Neil, because you've got a gr great list of actually, especially in Canada, some of the things that cause some people actually to have particularly low levels of vitamin D, right? Well, one would be skin color. We've got a lot of immigrants coming in from other countries with darker skin. They rely on uh, sunlight to produce vitamin D just like we do, but they're adapted for their environment where there is intense sunlight when they come up here guaranteed they're going to be deficient. So uh, that's one example. But um, uh, if you are if you're fighting cancer, you're likely going to be deficient in vitamin D. Uh, Byron was talking about uh, the proliferation of immune cells. We have a population of immune cells, our first cells that respond to an infection, we call them neutrophils. Um, they we produce about 8 million of those a minute. So in order for us to continue producing those, we have to have the nutrients to meet the demands to provide for new cells that are constantly being replaced. Those neutrophils last for about two days. When you get an infection, they're the first cell to migrate to the tissue to help fight the infection. Unfortunately, they can also cause a lot of tissue damage too, if there's too many of them. But the point is, you know, these cells turn over very quickly and they need these nutrients. And it's not just vitamin D, it's things like selenium, uh, many of our uh, trace minerals, for example, we get from our diet and they're impacted by the concentration of these minerals in the soils. So if you eat locally, you might be deficient in some sort of nutrient because your area is low, for example, selenium or copper in the soil. So there's lots of other um, nutraceuticals or immunoceuticals that modulate the immune system. That Bonnie mentioned uh, melatonin. Um, there's different amino acids um, that we could consider different vitamins as well. So there's a whole I remember, spectrum. Um, when my dad was in the hospital, so he had COVID pneumonia and uh, they told my dad that, um, I'm sorry, they told my brother that my dad's body was shutting down. I was racing back from Costa Rica with uh, ivermectin and I already had hydroxychloroquine, but I brought up quercetin to the doctors in the hospital and they looked at me, it was the pharmacist. And he says, quercetin? No, I, I, I've never even heard of quercetin. And mm -hmm. um, I was just like in shock, you know, that it, it does seem sometimes that doctors and natural, you know, paths or whatever I, are not talking. I'm guilty of so that. I, I'm, yeah. I'm guilty of that. When I, uh, let's see here, about six years ago, we started doing work with omega-3 fatty acids. And I, in... in you know, at that time, I was very naive about the impact of nutrition on the immune system. And so we were, we were feeding this to, uh, to animals to, to make omega-3 enriched milk. And so at the time, I was thinking, hmm, if we're producing this to make omega-3 rich milk, we used to call it dairy oat milk, it must be impacting the animals as well. And so we, we started conducting animal challenge studies to see whether immune function has been affected by being supplemented with this omega-3. In this case, it was a fish meal. And I was blown away by how it does modulate the immune system. And I was thinking, you know, wow, okay, this is a humbling moment because I had <laughs> wow. no appreciation for that. And at least and you pre can admit and probiotics. it. Right. Yeah, pre and, pro and there, I think you just hit on something, Lauren. 
we need to be open in our discussion, admit when we're wrong, admit when we learn something new. And now, I mean, today we've talked about vaccines, we've talked about immunoceuticals. And so we need to approach it, a multi-pronged approach. There's no one magic bullet here. We need to take the best from sort of the nutrition side, the best from the immunological side. We need to hear what the natural paths have to say. We, you know, we need to talk to each other and not get in uh, a silo. Don't get too stuck in a rut. We need to have open dialogue. I mean, I fed animals that were low responders with particular nutrients and I could see, I could bring them up into the average category. So it's important, but there are also, you know, various immunotherapies, appropriate vaccination, for example, use of monoclonal or polyclonal antibodies. These are all important. But I think what Dr. Uh, Byram was saying is, you know, if we can get everybody with as best immune system as possible, there's going to be a lot fewer people that we need to treat and you know a lot of this stuff we can do from home and you are what you eat you definitely are what you eat so we need to think about that we didn't understand until recently that obesity was a form of inflammation and right. that's coming from what you're eating coming from your gut there's these inflammatory um macrophages cells of the immune system that that actually can take up residence in the gut, for example. And so we're learning a lot. And this is kind of what we're wanting to help people to understand so they can optimize their health using multi-pronged approach. That's amazing. Yeah, and I just wanted to add to that, Laura Lynn. What, what, what's important about this, when you think about it, we're having, over time, lots of trouble financing healthcare in Canada, right? It's become prohibitively expensive and more and more costs are being downloaded to people. So it's really disconcerting that we have so many people actually trying to make this argument which is completely incorrect that these natural products that we're talking about are, are somehow fake science right um our immune system is a natural as a natural system um and, and in fact drugs that we use like that we manufacture i mean historically are based on uh a lot of natural products right um I, you know they're simply isolated or you know, or we're, we're modified after being isolated from some kind of natural product. I mean, there, there's some very potent medicines. Look, look at our antibiotics, right? That the whole history of antibiotics. Those that that's that that is life-saving medicine, right? Drugs that we have in our arsenal. That's all come from uh, nature, right? Natural products. Uh, we that didn't start off from synthesizing, you know, chemicals. Um, and, and this is the thing: is all of this stuff that Dr. Millard and, and Dr. Carroll right, were just talking about, especially Dr. Carroll with that list of uh, examples that you added quercetin to. These are cheap. They're dirt cheap. And if we learn to use them and we learn to optimize their concentrations, if we said, okay, let's not just be okay with, you know, the concentration of vitamin D to optimize bone density, let's not ignore the immune system, which is, which has a lot higher requirements, right? Let's, um, let's optimize it for that. Let's optimize the vitamin E for that, the vitamin A for that, right? Uh, recognize, you know, we, we've left out the immune system and our, our, our nutritional, uh, uh, recommendations essentially right and and I can pretty much guarantee that for most of these nutrients the, the need for the immune system to for, for functional optimism is gonna be higher it's dirt cheap and again you think about it this is something where if we promoted this on a population level 
uh, so, something that's so inexpensive. Um, people can get these things readily, you know, from the supermarket or, or pharmacy. Uh, if we just generally brought up the overall health of our population, and this is in addition to just healthy lifestyle choices as well, right? Trying to reduce smoking, uh, excessive drinking, um, excessive body weight, and so on, right? You could, you could imagine the, the general health of our population would go way up. And the health burden, therefore, would, would go down proportionately mm -hmm. and the cost would go down and there'd be less downloading to individuals for these costs. Right. So I think that's a no, very, the, the, very important thought. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I just wanted to point really quick. The quercetin, interestingly, I had two high school students, uh, remarkable high school school students come to my university laboratory to carry out research projects. Um, and they wanted to do studies with quercetin and camp camp for all is another one. So I can tell you, you're absolutely correct uh, about the potential benefits of these in terms of immunological function. Uh, they're what we call plant flavonoids. Just that's just the chemical term. Um, and uh, and these students actually found when they were doing some work in my lab some potential uh, beneficial anti-cancer properties. Um, so you're absolutely right. Quercetin is another one to, you can add to the list. And like I said, camphorol and other plant flavonoids. The list just, is huge. And I'm happy to hear a couple of young guys uh, from high school, did you say, are, you know, wanting to explore things like this. Probably they have real good moms at home going, you know, <laughs> yeah. take your quercetin. Yeah, but yeah both, both, both young ladies now that are oh, pursuing uh, very promising university careers. Yeah. Fantastic. So they, like, 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 like Dr. Caro, they're the ones that actually opened up my eyes because, of course, we're living in the world of cancer. Um, and I, I have been trying to look for more natural approaches, like like immunotherapies, getting the immune system target cancer cells. Mm -hmm. But but often when you're when you're when you're immersed in the world of cancer, you're thinking, I mean, the most prolific use are, are mm -hmm. very poisonous drugs, very poisonous chemicals, right? Um, right? And so when these students actually came with this idea, I thought again, um, you know, I was I was open to it. Yeah, sure, they, they're showing initiative. Um, they opened my eyes up. Uh, at that time to, to wow. start recognizing that's that, yeah, amazing. there's, we don't need these, we don't need these dangerous chemicals. We can take some of these natural products and do some amazing things with them. Right. Natural products made in Canada. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> yes. We've got, you know, well, you've got a whole, really? whole value added chain here. You know, we're looking for yeah. unique products to make in Canada, to grow them in Canada, to, you know, naturally produced. Let's do it in Canada. Um, could I, could and I... so this is, oh, sorry. I was sorry, just going to say, that's why we have this, this, you know, undertaking that we're doing with immunoceuticals. And so the company is called Immunoceutica and, you know, we are, you know, in that, in that endeavor, really focusing on the immunoceutical side. But again, not to say that's a panacea, but it's an important People component. get this? Can, can, is there like a a place that they can get all of the, the different things. You can go to our website. Now, can you just type in, in the chat there for anyone that wants it? Oh, yes, um, www.immunoceutica.ca for anyone that wants to have yep. a look at. Can you at spell that real quick? We're just <laughs> immuno, I-M-M-U-N-O-C-E-U-T-I-C-A, Immunoceutica. Okay. We're just a young we'll company. We're just having fun exploring some of these things. 
you know, we do research, we offer resources and services and But some this products. is exactly the next big thing because this is what I'm hearing from. I'm in all these chat lines. Yeah. I'm in with all of the yeah. freedom people who said, we're not taking the vax, we're good. And we've, no, right. we've all had COVID and we thought it was a piece of cake, frankly. I've had, uh, I've had um, flus way worse than that. I'm very sorry that it hit some yeah. people harder, but it wasn't for us yeah. and, and my whole family. But yeah. now- so, I mean, that's a blessing. Very worried that, about their families. Yes, very yeah. worried I, about I their mean, brother, their sister. You know, what can yeah. I do for yeah. them? Absolutely. And I have to say, for example, in our own family, my husband has a comorbidity and he's more senior. He, when he had COVID the first time, he just wrote it out. But the second time, you know, he's had more problems. So, you know, these treatments are excellent for people, whether you've been vaccinated or, or you, you haven't been vaccinated. We have to level the playing field here. We are, I don't think we want to be segregating our, our Canadian citizens into two groups. We want to help them all, all because there's people from all walks of life with all backgrounds, various choices that they've made, and they can all benefit from immunoceuticals, for example. Right. I, yeah, I was yeah, thinking about By Byram's comment about uh, exercise and health and everything, and I was thinking about the one thing that happened to most of us during lockdowns was people started putting on weight. They were depressed. They were drinking more. They were not exercising as much they were eating more so how do those lockdowns work for us all not too good <laughs> right no it's not healthy we know moderate exercise stimulates nk cells these are natural killer cells uh, the right. immune system is integrated with every system in our body the immune system talks constantly with the nervous system it talks to the gut it talks to the hormone system so you can't, you know, you've, you've really got to have an integrative approach to, to health at this point. And the immune system is crucial to this. It's the only system we have. It's our, that can match with the diversity that we see with these pathogens, for example. So we need to, it to work as well as possible. We were told not to exercise too, which was interesting. I, I remember hearing that, you know, don't exercise. Oh. It, it, um, you know, it could, yeah, it could make things worse if you get COVID. And, and yet we all know, um, I don't know if Laura Lynn knows this, we have a lymphatic system that circulates cells throughout our body. And they, it's not like we have a, a, a heart to pump blood through our lymphatic system. We don't have that. We need muscle contraction to stimulate the lymphatic flow throughout our body. So we need to be moving around. One of the things while we have Neil on, I would love to know if he would like to comment on that vinyl chlorine spill. I mean, he's a toxicologist, and what (laughs) we want to know. Well, you want to talk about that or no? I would want to be testing those fish to find out um, do they have levels of vinyl chloride in them, uh, in their tissue? uh, Is it, uh, you know, sometimes you have fish kills, you don't know why. But uh, yeah, that would be very concerning. You certainly want to measure tissue levels in, in uh, different wildlife populations to see. The eat fish the are fish, very right, sensitive. <laughs> What's that? You want to test them. those fish before you eat them. I think it was your yeah, dad who indeed. was also a professor. And he kind of cautioned me one time about like, you know, be careful the fish you choose to eat. Don't eat any He's old fish. He's very right. 
Yeah, what about, that's very true. Yeah. What, what about, I was just looking back on my Twitter page for what about this threat of putting this stuff, um, mRNA vaccines actually now into uh, our food, like, you know, into yeah. chickens, into yeah. cows. What yeah. do you all think of that? So, so Laura, we might have I'll, different I'll let one of you take it, actually. I was just wondering, Laura Lynn, while they're on that topic, is there any chance that your producer could pull up after this discussion, uh, yes. figure two for the paper I put in the discussion or, or the chat? Sorry, Absolutely. I, I put a link in there. Yes, uh, just because. Yeah, because it beautifully addresses something I, like I, I, something I think your your viewers absolutely must see and we should talk about before we finish the show. You bet. We'll pull it up. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to make one comment. Uh, years ago, they made they made a tomato, a transgenic tomato, expressing a fish protein, and they did that so that it was um, I think it was an antifreeze protein, just so that the tomato could grow better in colder temperatures. And lo and behold, people who were allergic to fish had allergic reactions to the tomatoes as well. So my concern, one of them would be that if we're producing a foreign protein um, in, in an animal that got vaccinated, so that animal is a bioreactor and we are now drinking the milk, it wouldn't surprise me if some people got sensitized and started developing allergy to that foreign protein. That would be one scenario I would be concerned about. Wow. Well, I mean, th this mm -hmm. is terrifying. Like, if we're going to start getting, like, I'm worried that, okay, so we haven't taken the vaccine, but now, well, and you don't certainly don't want to get a blood transfusion these days either. But now, mm. um, if you're eating chicken, I, I mean, I don't know if it'll cook it out, like we're going to boil it. It's not going to be freezing cold like those vaccines had to be or whatever. But I'm concerned that, um, you know, the, you know, what's going to happen to our bodies. So yeah, here's and the, the, the other thing that I, yeah, I was just going to say body, uh, uh, one concern that I have is the potential for oral tolerance, right? And so that's the concept where wow. our immune system actually gets programmed so that it will not respond to things that we eat. And if we start getting uh, mRNA vaccines or their derivatives, mm -hmm. right, what they're supposed to be encoding for, which is a protein from a pathogen, uh, if we start generating immunological tolerance in people to these proteins that we're supposed to be targeting, that our immune system is supposed to respond to, to protect us, right, we're going to have the opposite effect. We're actually going to be making people more susceptible to the infectious diseases. <laughs> and so I can already tell you, because already when I express that concern, um, a, a supposed fact check came out against me saying, this guy doesn't understand mRNA, right? It's, it can never survive going through the stomach. To which again, I say, people, you have to understand all the mechanisms. This is why sit down with us and have a talk. Um, first of all, there's no reason why the, the, if you're consuming these lipid nanoparticles with the mRNA, that it couldn't be trans or getting into all the cells, you know, mucosal cells lining our, the inside of our mouth and our throat and our esophagus, for example. And then we get all those cells manufacturing the pathogenic protein, right? Um, also, what people are forgetting is this was based on, my concern originally was based on a paper showing clear evidence of shedding of of well the vaccine actually directly right that where the paper that showed it was getting the breast milk albeit at low concentrations so people are forgetting though if the vac whole vaccine is getting into breast milk they didn't they, they, that research group didn't look at the spike protein i mean again these are designed 
so if, if the vac if the vaccine is getting into the breast tissue, then it's probably getting cells in the mammary glands to manufacture the spike protein, right? So there's probably the pathogenic protein as well. And these proteins can pass through our digestive system. That's what we do, right? We and we want to take up these uh, proteins as part of the nutrients that sustain our body. So again, I like to say there's another example where. Um, People can fact check me on the mRNA if they want, uh, but now they got to fact check me on the lipid nanoparticles and harm that they could do. The mRNA getting into cells and getting it to our cells to manufacture it before it gets to the stomach or the protein itself coming in, right? Laura this is why we have to have these discussions. But yeah. I just want to add to what Dr. Caro said, that's an additional concern is the potential for us actually tolerizing ourselves against these pathogens that the animals are getting vaccinated against. And why that's important is, it's maybe not so important if it's a disease that's specific to that animal, but when it's something like, uh, when it's a disease that the animal is being vaccinated against in order to protect us because we get the same disease, right? That's where it could become a major problem if we start tolerizing ourselves. Then we're going to be susceptible to far more severe disease than we otherwise would be. I'm so tired of Imagine being an this experiment. coming out in the milk. Well, yeah, this is the thing. Um, so, I mean, the way I think about this is, you know, consumers do not want to be consuming GMOs. There's been a lot of talk about genetically modified organisms over the last several decades. And it's very clear to the public and to me and to other researchers that, you know, that's not what the consumers want. And, and so the approaches that I've taken to improve health of animals, particularly food producing, is to just look at which have the best genetics of the immune response. And this technology is called the Immunity Plus technology. It was patented, it's award-winning. And, and these animals have better health, but we didn't have to introduce foreign genes. We didn't have to genetically modify them so that the um, consumer can be confident in the food and not only confident in the food they're eating, they want to know the quality of life that that animal is living all the way from the farm to the fork. And this is the way it's going. And so this is no time to introduce mRNA vaccines into livestock. We need to stop and think. We know enough right now about these vaccine effects in humans, the myocarditis, for example, the thrombocytopenia. These things are well known are we now going to subject our animals to this? You know, we have to think about the animals themselves, mm -hmm. their health, their well-being, as well as how that might impact the consumer. And so I think, you know, we have some concerns. And here's one of the reasons is veterinary vaccines do not go through necessarily the same rigor as human vaccines. And we do not have a database where the public can go and look to see what vaccine clinical trials are ongoing, what's in the pipeline. I think it's called clinicaltrials.gov for all uh, human vaccines. Well, we need an equivalent of that for veterinary vet vaccines and biologics. We don't have it.
Um, the other thing we don't have is we don't have an adverse repent, uh, event reporting system similar to VAERS where veterinarians and pet owners, livestock owners can go and report adverse events. We need that for veterinary species. So what we've got, if you want to really find out what's happening in the terms of veterinary vaccines, you need to rely on maybe press releases from universities or from corporations. Um, maybe you go to a conference, but we don't have a handle. So, and a lot of this, we know Merck example right now, I think I have a chart up here. We're right now, the three of us and others, we're writing a review of sort of the future of veterinary vaccines. So, and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, you know, we're talking about all aspects of this, trying to educate people. And my biggest message is slow down. Do not do more harm. Let's not inflict harm on our animals now when we haven't even figured out what's going on, why we're seeing the adverse events that we're seeing. And folks, I always say, remember, for example, the 1976 human uh, porcine flu vaccine was pulled after it killed between 50 and 60 people. These vaccines have killed more than that and we haven't pulled them. Let's not now start with the animals. And yep. so, you know, adverse events can be due to the mRNA. It can be due to the delivery system. So I know some of the ones in the veterinary pipeline um, maybe aren't going to be using the lipid nanoparticle, but they're using other platforms. But I would like to see more transparency around those. Uh, some are continuous deliverance of these. So I don't know what that looks like because they're done inside corporations or in universities. So, you know, I still haven't got a good handle on that and if i don't have a handle on it oh lord and can't get a handle on it then Whoa. i think we need to just slow that down and i right. the only way we're going to do it is if the public now puts pressure and says i don't want that because there's a big black box question mark we need to figure stuff out so when our review comes out we will try and outline all of that yes you know very we'll very again you know, every single yes. day, yep. you know, one of our tweets or one of our shows, uh, it goes out and and uh, uh, sometimes millions of people have seen our tweets in particular. Um, mm. And maybe that's the way we just have to really, you know, get the information concisely stated. And hopefully someone's listening because I am just sick of it. And I don't want to eat crickets either. And I saw somebody, <laughs> at a, you know, no. at a taco. I won't even say the taco... No name but you know the name brand but tacos right the shells the taco shells and um mm -hmm. all kinds of crap is going into this stuff and i'm so upset like it's just taking away my joy of food which i don't even really like food all that much to be honest it's so funny <laughs> my husband loves food um but i just want my food to be safe no crickets no bugs and no none of these uh, toxins in it uh, dr carol yeah. do you have anything to add to what uh, dr millard just said could, could I well, just say, Laura Lynn, that oh, I, yes. I did an experiment and, and I, I took uh, some of these to my son's, uh, we actually oh had a, a dance performance. Oh. And so I got these and we were asked afterwards for the parents to bring snacks for the kids. Oh. So I brought this just as, just as a joke, right? But uh, I'll tell you, yeah, no kids wanted to touch it. So I, I don't think it's going to be an easy sell for our kids. Let me tell you that. <laughs> oh, I hope not. But the thing is, That's they're hilarious. hiding it, right? At least that says worm food on it. 
you know, or worm yeah. snacks, right? But my concern yeah. is when they're calling it by the color of the bug. Oh, the bug's red, so we have a ruginoxin, you know, or something, right? And they're shoving it into the food. It's so upsetting. And I'm also concerned well, um, with you as immunologists about the next thing. Like we are hearing rumors of another virus and perhaps like a, a bird thing. And if anyone has information on that. Yeah. Mm. We could talk oh, all day. I, 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 that's a whole other yeah, I would episode. Just say, I would just say, I think we've learned well, the principle. I, yeah, we've learned the principle now to not overreact. Right, uh, and what we need is is much greater transparency. Um, yeah, we we definitely don't need we need time to recover from this last, uh, you know, the last three years, which was the most mismanaged crisis of our time, uh, probably hopefully of our lives. But who knows? Yeah. Maybe there's worse still to of come. History, maybe. Uh, but we got we have to figure out everything that we did wrong, which was lots, correct it, um, so that we can deal properly with emerging, because we're always going to be facing new emerging infectious diseases, but we can't do it with with the, you know, again, we go right back to the very beginning. One of the things that we did is we were supposed to be prepared, properly prepared, Laura Lynn. A lot of people forget, you go right back to the beginning, public institutions were made to come up with pandemic preparedness plans. We all had them. Our university, the three of us are from, had a pandemic preparedness plan. We threw it out in less than two weeks. That happened all across our entire country, yeah. right? Yeah. We we had to, we, we did that so that we wouldn't be mm -hmm. reacting um, in, in ways that were haphazard. We wouldn't be re reacting out of fear. And, uh, but we threw all those plans out. So we have to reestablish those plans again or or similar plans and actually commit to sticking with them all right then we'll have then we, we won't no longer be fear driven so yes there is the potential for new emerging infectious diseases to be very dangerous potentially right but again there's proper steps that we take to figure that out right again there are, we, 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 you know we did our two weeks to let the hospitals get prepared for increased cases with COVID-19. There was nothing wrong with that. But then very quickly, we learned that this is not a dangerous pathogen for the vast majority of people. But we never pulled out of that nosedive. So I, I, I personally, my recommendation to everybody, Laura Lynn, is take every warning about a new emerging infectious disease with a grain of salt and let scientists who are not going to be fear mongerers People are going to be very objective and follow logical plans of action. Let them deal with it. You know what? And they will tell us, right? Or, or I would throw the three of us in there as people who would be willing to tell the public if it is a genuine threat, like a really serious threat. And believe right? me, we're we'll us... You know, yeah. listen, Byram, you probably read the, the publication that came out just a few days ago. It's in Cell Host and the Microbe. It's, uh, you know, a cell press... Uh, journal, very great. She is the senior author. And here's titled Rethinking Next Generation Vaccines for Coronavirus, Influenza, and Other Respiratory Viruses. So, you know, here's a problem. You have somebody coming on and repeatedly saying safe and effective, safe and effective. Actually, I heard him say 100% safe and effective. You know, you can trust it. And now today or last week, he there's this rethinking <laughs> this is yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, I, my, what's I flabbergasted here so so was i with that paper yeah he, he he's admitting that 
well, so this is a crazy thing. Um, I, you know, whether he is just admitting it now because, and he knew it before because he is trying to escape from all the pressure of all the lies that he gave the public, I don't know. Or he literally didn't know and he's just learned. Uh, but it's ridiculous. That is why these scientists, like you have to have expertise in vaccines. Because basically what the paper is saying is, in retrospect, looking back on this technology and the way we implemented it, one would expect that it would not work well. One would expect that there's no way you can achieve herd immunity with this tool, which is absolutely opposite of everything that he and, and most others said throughout the past uh, two years. It, it is very frustrating to see. And as us as immunologists, we read this paper and we're thinking, yeah, we knew all this like before the vaccines even came out when we saw the very nature. So one of the one of the little examples is um, this. Now he, he sees, you know what? Now, in retrospect, we wouldn't really have expected these vaccines to be very good in inducing mucosal immunity and the respiratory tract. Um, you know, hello. Yes, that's just basic immunology. Uh -huh. Our students, undergraduate immunology students, wow. understand this. I've already said yes. it before. If you stick uh, a vaccine into a muscle, the body's tricked. Remember, I said a whole, whole person of vaccines that trick your body into thinking it's an infection, so it'll respond to it. Well, if you put it inside the body, it thinks the infection is inside the body. So it directs uh, most of the immunological resources towards what we call what it thinks is a systemic infection. And, but the problem is SARS-CoV-2 comes in through the respiratory tract, right? And so now, you know, he's saying in this paper, you know, things like, well, you know, maybe we should have looked at inducing the immune response in the respiratory tract. Yes, hello. Guess what? If you induce an immune response in the respiratory tract, the immune system naturally is going to focus more of its resources in, on the respiratory tract and protecting it. So it's really quite unbelievable because what he's talking about and he gets this paper and it's published in this great journal he gets this uh, to add to his cv um and really what it's doing is he's basically saying you know what i have come to understand immunology at the level of what undergraduate students taking their third year immunology course understand that's literally what this he is knew it. This every is immunologist knows that byram he knew it he has to first of all i know i just don't want to be the one accusing people of you know wrong no, doing, but, yeah. i'm guessing he's making a mucosal vaccine like, really i don't know well you can see you know why what happens when you can't have everybody in a discussion um and us three we don't always agree and but we talk about it and we talk it through and it's interesting right and we refine our thinking and we get mm -hmm. better understanding as a result and i mean we don't just talk amongst the three of us we have several meetings a week with um doctors across the country and across the world um talking about our ideas trying to put it together looking at the literature studying papers i would really like this to have been something that all canadians could have seen well, that sounds like real science, um, which is completely gone uh, when the the agenda is all about uh, big pharma and the vaccines mm -hmm. and safe, mm -hmm. safe and effective and giving money mm -hmm. out to everyone, churches, uh, mainstream media to tell one narrative and now to punish any doctors that tell the truth, which, of course, you've all probably experienced that lashback. We do have that uh, thing available, Dr. Uh, Bridal, because, boy, am I ever so glad you've all had such wonderful time to give us today because we really appreciate your information. But uh, there was something you wanted us to put up, and I think this is the graph. 
Yeah, this is very important for your for your viewers to say or, or see. So first of all, what I'll say, Laura Lynn, is this comes from what we call a preprint article, which means it has not yet gone undergone peer review and hasn't been published yet, right? Which is which is an important quality control process. So typically, this is not something that I would lean too heavily on. However, this data aligns perfectly with what we're seeing with real, you know, what others would call real world public health data around the world. So that's why I, I trust this is, is good, solid data. The other thing which is important is this data comes out from a group in the, out of the Cleveland Clinic in the United States who were pushing the narrative, right? And, and they were pushing the vaccines and fully supporting the vaccines. So um, th this, this, and at the end of the day, the three scientists you have on your show right now, we all conduct peer review ourselves and recommend or editors to either publish or not publish papers. So we're able to do our own peer review. So if you could just pull it up again, just really quickly. I just, so what this shows, and this is this, and. Actually, what caused me to think about this was Dr. Carroll's story about a student of his, right, that he's been teaching, uh, having mm -hmm. taken the fifth dose, right? So this is scary. This is why people, all Canadians, everybody around the world need to look at this graph. It is showing a perfect dose-response relationship in completely the opposite direction of what one would expect if you actually had a good quality vaccine. So just so you, your, your readers understand how to look at this graph, um, Laura Lynn, on the bottom are the days since they started the study date, right? So they went up to just over 90 days, okay? So so just over three months is, is how long this particular study ran. Okay. And then on the left side, uh, the left axis, is the cumulative incidence of COVID-19. So it's looking at each pop, and it, it has uh five populations that they studied five populations and this is very important it was normalized for the numbers of people the different numbers of people in each group so you can directly compare these curves and what you see is what what is the lowest one the lowest one so what this is basically so it's saying what is the incidence of COVID-19, right? How, how much COVID-19 is occurring in each of these populations? Well, the lowest one is that black line. And look what it says to the right of it, zero doses. People who did not take the shot are experiencing less COVID-19 than everybody else. You can see there is a big step up when you go to one dose another big step up when you go to two doses even worse when you go to three doses and then they've simply gone to greater than three doses it goes up yet again and this is scary laura lynn because i i don't like this terminology because this is exactly the stuff that caused all the division but you remember when for the longest time people were saying this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated there don't was a it. trick to that <laughs> and, and what what they did is they started counting cases from the very first case that occurred in a country, right? And for the longest time, nobody in any population, in any country were vaccinated, right? And then there was a long time for the rollout. So every case that occurred during that very long period of time could only be attributed to the unvaccinated, right? And so they biased the data heavily, heavily, heavily towards showing lots of cases among the unvaccinated. So what's happened now though, is enough time has passed and the vaccines have done enough damage to people's immune system and their ability to fight off COVID-19 that they can no longer hide that damage with this massive bias that they built in, 
right? That they, 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 they gave the unvaccinated a massive head start in terms of the case counts, right? And this is what happens. So literally, if we were to use the historical phrase, and I'm not promoting this, we would literally say that COVID-19 is undoubtedly now, unquestionably, it can no longer be hidden, a pandemic of the vaccinated. Now, yep. the only good thing I would say for the vaccinated is it's not a particularly dangerous disease for the vast majority of people. Although there are experiment, experimental results coming out suggesting not only are they getting COVID more often, but so, especially with the high number of doses, it might be making it more severe as well. But regardless, mm -hmm. no matter which way you slice this pie, if you, wherever you are on that chart, what that chart tells you is you do not want to go a dose higher, right? So if you've not okay. got a single dose, stay there. You are the most protected and, and uh, from COVID-19. And if you're at dose four, don't go to dose five. Neil, if your student is listening, my recommendation to him is he's at dose five. Do not go to dose six. Dr. Carroll. Yeah, so I, I would argue um, <laughs> against Byram here and say, because this is what we've heard in the past, um, those people who have been multiplied, like vaccinated three plus times are likely elderly and immune compromised people. So what is your response to that, Byram, in this study? I, I would point to your student as an example <laughs> Uh, Fair they're enough. not an elderly and, and individual, would, right? And, and people have been, yeah, it's been, it's been pushed, but actually there's a lot of elderly people, especially in long-term care facilities where their access to it is much more controlled. They can't just mm -hmm. go when they want to any vaccine clinic, right? And there's actually, uh, many of them are requesting, when is the government going to formally recommend the next booster dose, for example, right? Um, so, so no, it's it's more driven. I think this stat is more driven by fear, right? That the, the people who are most scared have been made the most scared of COVID nineteen are are getting more shots. I think that's probably right. more the common factor than age in this particular uh, scenario. Well, and the other yeah. thing, oh, and also the way I respond to that uh, deal, because of course we couldn't have all the data up there. So just so you know, that data is specifically for people under the age of 65. So gotcha. it's just dealing with a relatively young population, right? Under 65, yeah. you're getting into your low risk demographics. And, and uh, you know, now we've got um, stuff coming out like this one graph uh the of excess deaths in Germany, 2020, 2021, 2022. Uh, this one graph tells many stories on the insanity across the last three years of what the COVID gene injection shot did with deaths post shots. Um, so here's a graph talking about excess deaths. And it's, it's a staggering number of excess deaths going on across the world. And this one's just a Germany one. But Dr. Mackis yesterday put out information on 10,000 excess deaths in Alberta alone. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know what the excess deaths are in every province, but I sure would like to know. And I'd also like to know if, you know, Alberta in any way got uh, some targeting happening uh, with respect to... Um, you know, how they can, there's different levels of these shots, it appears, like how bad yeah. is my Well, again, like batch, that. batch makes a difference. We know yeah. that batch makes a difference. So it, we may see this in other provinces, or maybe they got a bad batch. It was Alberta that got a bad batch of a, a swine flu vaccine, and many children uh, suffered. It's kind of interesting, the consequences isn't it? Of that. Yeah. yeah, so it, 
it can happen. And a bad I'm batch probably going to have to sign the... off, Laura Lynn, because I've yes. got another obligation here. Okay. But the gentleman can stay. All right. Uh, I have to get going. With you yeah, yeah. I to. think we we all probably have to get going. But it's... thank you, uh, Dr. Millard, uh, for your information. Time I really to boost pretty... my immune system with that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I want to boost yeah. myself as well. I got vitamin D sitting on my. Um, my kitchen, uh, you know, counters, and I'm just thinking about how I need Make to sure be taking that every single day. Make sure you with it, Laura Lynn. Don't yes. take your D without K. Oh, K2. With, right? With K2. With K, oh, okay. K2, E3 and K2. We can talk to you about that. Read okay. our article. Don't All take, right, let's do this again, and we're going to put the, okay. um, the, the, your um, Immunisutica, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but we're going to put that website up. Immuno so, Dr. Millard, I'll let you go. Yes. And, okay, thank uh, you. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye. And I'll just get a final word from uh, Dr. Um, Caro. Anything you want to add? <laughs> oh, okay. That's it. K2MK-7. Okay, write this down, everyone. That's good stuff. We'll uh, have our own product. I want to say that we're making our own product, and we're calling it Immunodrops. Yes. We hope to have that out and we do will it have, soon. you know, so, do it soon because yeah, everyone's asking um, for this stuff. I'm telling you, We're this is as the way as to can. help you guys to survive everything that's happened to everybody, you know? Oh, there you go. Thank yeah. So you. this is your Good website. Fact. Yep. Thank you. Immunosudica.ca. We'll just leave that graphic up there for a while and come back to Dr. Carol. Final word from you. Final word from Dr. Bryden. I'll let you go. Final words for me, go and exercise. I'm late now, so I got to do extra push-ups. This is my karate <laughs> sensei. would be making me do push-ups. Oh, no. Okay, go. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for being here. Bye-bye. Take right. care. God bless. Dr. Bridal, God bless. Dr. Bridal, any final words? Uh, yeah, my, my, I guess uh, just simply today I would say um, don't believe the misinformation coming from the from Canada's misinformation gurus that things like vitamin D and all the great things we talked about today are uh, fake science. It's absolutely not. Keep in mind that whatever the nutritional regulations are currently for uh, these various nutrients that are that our immune system requires, um, the it's almost certain that the requirement for optimal immunological function is greater than what we're currently recommending. So uh, yeah, so study all you can learn all you can about all of these natural nutrients and components that help support our immune system and uh, do what you can with these relatively cheap products to optimize your own immunological uh, functions and um, you'll generally have a healthier life okay and one final question are you on twitter or have you got a twitter page or have you ever done that no it's a, that's a very dangerous place for me to to go. I don't have a, I have a fake Twitter account. Um, <laughs> not a legitimate one. Yeah, I avoid okay. that. Uh, unfortunately for people like me who have spoken the truth for the last couple of years, it's, uh, yes. it's a very dark place, honestly. Yeah, it, it probably has been. Um, I know Dr. Mack has just got back on there. Uh, all of these, you know, with all of the, the Twitter execs being grilled nonstop, um, they are really eating dirt right now and potentially facing, I heard, potential incarceration because they literally, it, it, it appears they did affect a, um, an election. But I do, you know, if I could just say, 
I'd follow you immediately if we could get your information on Twitter. And now Twitter's open. They're, they are allowing you guys to tell the truth. So maybe just think about that because we'd promote it. And Dr. Mackis just got on back on three days ago after he said on our show that he's still not on. Well, our viewers tweeted Elon Musk extensively. All of a sudden, Dr. Mackis is back on Twitter. We would do the same for you if you were there. We'd make sure that everyone was following you. In any case, we think That's the world excellent. of you. I, pre- I appreciate it. Yeah, what I do have, I, I am writing Substack articles when I can. Right, right. You're on Substack under your name, correct? Yes. Excellent. Uh, well, yeah, it should come up under my name. Viral immunologist is what. Oh, viral. Is actually what it's under. Okay, immunologist, and that's where you can Yeah, find... all one word, all lowercase, or uh, the name of the Substack articles are, it's called COVID Chronicles. Or COVID Chronicles. Okay. Yes. I mean, everybody, it's so important to follow the doctors because they put this stuff out. The moment they get it, it's out on the Substack. If you're subscribed, it comes into your email and you go, oh my gosh, you know, I, I mean, that's why I'm following every, like three graphs today tells you a story of the COVID infections and cases. Like, you know, there it is from, from another doctor's Substack right there. And Dr. Uh, Mackis is just already getting so many, so we want to follow you, and um, I think I already, of course, follow you. But thank you very much, Dr. Bridal, for your time today. You have been a gem, and you are to Canada. We appreciate you. Thank you, and God bless. Well, thanks for having me. And I should also say my two colleagues that were on here, um, I, I I can't thank them enough. Um, I wouldn't have been able to be as uh, outspoken as I was about sharing the truth with people if it wasn't for the massive support they gave me. Amazing. They are very cool people. Yes. I'm grateful for all of you. Thank you for sticking together and sticking up for Canadians and helping us. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Thank you, Dr. Bridal. God bless. All right. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't know if you feel like uh, you've been through a marathon, but I sure do. That was just amazing. I mean, you just don't want to shut it down because you don't want to miss anything. I want to tell you about 15-Minute Cities before we go. This is a very scary idea that is beginning to be talked about, propagated, um, and I already showed you about the China City at the beginning of the show. Can we show the people here now about the China City? So here's how you can get in and out of a China City. Um, As of today, this is one of their little cities. I don't know if they call them 15-Minute Cities, but it's smaller cities. And they're, you know, basically not free to go here and there. Look at them. They're putting in their little, they ha- seem to have a card or something, and then they can go in. Um, but in order to get out, you got that. So what happens the day that they shut the card thing down and you can't get out? <laughs> I don't know. So we have a, a little video on 15-Minute Cities. Let's take a look at that. 15-Minute Cities. What an abomination they are. Yeah. They're dressed up as, as some kind of yet another version of utopia. You know, where you don't need to go anywhere. You can you can wander about or maybe take your push bike uh, on a 15-minute radius from your home. You don't need to get in a car, far less own a car. Uh, your place of work, all your entertainment, your shops, your GP, your dentist, your theatre, your cinema, your restaurants, all in a 15-minute walk from your home. So you don't need to go anywhere ever again. You know, that's just a, that's just a sophisticated way of shutting us down and locking us in. They, they saw how effective it was shutting us in our homes. Now they want to shut us in 15-minute cities. You might as well call them ghettos. On and on and on it goes. This is the supermarket sweep. 
This is them running up and down the aisles, grabbing everything they can. And it's manifesting itself in the form of us losing more and more, up to and including our rights, our liberties, freedom itself. You know, I just was not born to be kept in a cage at all. I am a free bird. You guys know that. They told us we couldn't travel. I decided I would travel more. And uh, I'm, a, I guess, a bit unusual because as we traveled across Canada, right, JT, we couldn't even find people barely. In, in You know, we'd have uh, 300 people in um, one of our events, and we'd say, how many of you went on a vacation this last couple of years, right? And I'm waiting, and there might be one person in the side, and another one puts their hand up, and I'm like, where was that to? And they're like, to Kelowna. I'm like, no, no, that doesn't count as a vacation. We love Kelowna and all, but I'm talking about surf, sunshine, sand, the kind of the kind of days and the kind of moments that make you feel alive. I'm alive. You know, like that's a vacation, everybody. It's not a vacation to go to the interior of BC or, you know, up into northern Ontario or one of their precious lakes. Yes, beautiful for sure, but You know, I just think that when God made the surf and he made the ocean and he made warm water, because we don't get that here, when he made warm water and stunning, epic scenery, he smiled and he wanted all of his kids to see that. And so I absolutely love it. That's why we have the guy from Costa Rica on and, you know, you know, kind of get him to get, give you a bit of information so you can maybe go on uh, a trip and they are taking down I heard they're gonna you're gonna be able to cross the border into the United States of America May something like May 11th or sometime like that they're gonna take off all the mandates that that they have and you don't need to be vaccinated you'll be able to get over there you might as well start planning for some fun you know in case they start doing any of this nonsense with the 15 minute cities I guess they think that they're being smart, I suppose, but there's nothing smart about it. If you can't get out, like my husband and I, we don't want that. We want to be able to go in our free world that God gave us. God gave us this world and we're going to be in it and we're going to do and go where we would like to go. And if you have a problem with that, then that's going to be your problem. And Mr. Trudeau, look at him. He travels all over in his little private planes and goes to wherever and to some of the nice places too. So we all think we're deserving, right? Huh? Just like you. I mean, it's what's fair for you is fair for us. What's fair for the wealthiest person alive, you know, and maybe they can afford more than we'll ever be able to do, of course. But we can get a little piece of heaven. We can go to a, a less expensive resort. We can get an Airbnb that's less money, right? Uh, if Airbnb will... Um, will yeah, give you a spot because did you hear what it was? It was Lara. Yeah. Well, what's her full name? Laura. Yeah. Southern. And so she, she's, she was blacklisted by Airbnb, I think. And then when her parents tried to get an Airbnb, they said, oh no, you can't get this Airbnb because uh, someone that you're related to is, that's my dog in the background. Someone you're related to is uh, banned. And so they wouldn't, they were not going to give uh, her parents the Airbnb. So pretty annoying. Um, cashless society in Australia. This is coming up. T- take a look. And I think it's heading our way. A recent picture in a, a sign in a Starbucks cafe, which is circulating on Twitter, uh, saying that uh, they're going cashless. We're going cashless. Now I was over in the 
UK recently as, you, uh, recently, as you know, and I was horrified by the number of places, James and Michael, that you go to that they just do not accept cash. And you feel you could walk out of the restaurant and say, well, if you don't want my legal tender, forget it. But Sophie, this uh, fired you up. Tell us why. Well, largely, most of this is actually a casualty and something that has continued on through COVID. So they use COVID as an excuse to, to basically outlaw cash. So during COVID, nowhere took cash because they said, oh, you know, it will transfer bacteria. But a lot of places have kept it. And it's outraged me because go a cashless society to me is first of all the gateway to digital identity but also is a real vehicle of government overreach and if you think this is some sort of conspiratorial nonsense just have a look at canada they froze the accounts of, of the people who engaged in the trucker protest. They shut down the GoFundMe donations and they also froze people's accounts of people who just happened to donate money or support it. So people that weren't even involved. So going cashless is a way for the government to police people's views through money and how to that for me, cashless society is the last straw of, of, of taking away our freedom. But it's also extremely discriminatory. I mean, what about old people, de domestic violence, people who hide away cash that they can escape their their lovers or, or, or children. I mean, a cashless society is just utterly terrible for anyone. And I think that as people, we should boycott any business that goes cashless. So any business that goes cashless will not get my support. So my new saying is go cashless, go broke. <laughs> You know, um, I mean, it's really tough, isn't it? Because one of the things I have absolutely loved about having, you know, the debit card is you're not carrying around a lot of cash. Nobody's, nobody can steal it. You can't drop your wallet somewhere and lose your money. But now it's becoming an absolute form of control. And so I've, I've been starting to um, pay cash a lot more. And one of the ways, actually, I don't know if you're like us, but you end up with toonies and loonies um, all over the place. And so... Um, I finally rounded up and I got a big bag of Toonies, Loonies, quarters. So every time, you know, and now the the drive through is so expensive. So when we're going through to get our food, I just download like, you know, 24 bucks of, um, oh, my dog for Pete's sake, $24 of Toonies and Loonies and quarters. I just like dig through it, you know, and I'm sure they're thrilled, you know, and it, you know, weighs their whole hand down when I give it to them. But, um, you, you know, we might have to consider that one of the ways that we're going to fight back, how, okay, if, if you want to go on Craigslist, right? And you want to sell, you got a guitar, right? And you don't want the guitar anymore. So now you want to sell that on Craigslist. Well, if you can't take cash from somebody, that's going to be a little bit tougher. Like garage sales are all based on that kind of thing. Private sales, right? You, you sell something privately, you don't want it going through your bank, you know, these are probably the things they want to get us for anyways, right? <laughs> so it's, you know, uh, cash is important. And uh, we don't want them knowing every single thing we ever purchase. Every single thing, every place we've been, it's going to be known. It's, it's like a tracking system. They don't need to have you on, on Google. If they've got, you know, cash, a cashless society, they know what restaurant you're eating in, where you stop to get your gas, you know, what, what snacks you purchased, what you got at the grocery store, everything. So they know if you're traveling, they know if you're home, they, they can just track you. I, I don't like it. I do not like it at all. So that's the way it is on this beautiful day, February 13th. And I'm also super excited because to, tomorrow is February 14th. 
And I know my husband has got me something great. It's it's going to be so amazing. So I'm so excited about that, that he's working on that actually this evening. So uh, thank you, hun, for that. I'm, I cannot wait to see that. Do you remember on the movie? Oh, right, right. I was going to go into this. I want to show you my share because we were kind of talking about um, on my Twitter page, if you guys, I put a lot of information every day on Twitter. I don't know if you're on Twitter, but if you would like to see what I'm putting out every day, it's probably a really good idea um, because I'm showing, oh man, I'm trying to find, is this it? Okay, there we are. Um, so U.S. to test shots against bird flu outbreak as Biden administration weighs poultry vaccination. So that's basically what we were talking about. Some other things I put up, multiple laundry detergents banned after being linked to carcinogens. I mean, is there anything that can just be safe? Like, do we have to be scared of laundry detergent, you know, or bugs, bugs in our food? So annoying. So annoying. Oh, okay. And the newest one. So now what is it? Is it four uh, flying objects, a couple of balloons, and this last one, uh, they said that extraterrestrials, oh shoot, I spelt that wrong. Oh, and you can't fix it. Extraterrestrials, um, you know, they're not ruling it out, you know, that maybe this final object that fell down pretty close to Canada, um, well, they took it out of the sky, right? Um, that um, they're going to, okay, one more thing. There is, for all of you who follow, um, moves of God. Well, apparently there is a fire spreading. It's a spiritual fire. There is a report that um, students from more than 21 colleges have now arrived at Asbury University in Kentucky for a revival service. So that, that is absolutely phenomenal. The other thing is, um, so, so young people who have received the vaccine have died. Students um, under the uh, students under 13 years of age are not required to provide their vaccination passports, but most students above 13 years of age have been required to get that. And then what do we see? Well, another COVID-19 mRNA vaccinated, mandated by the Quebec provincial government, a young Canadian athlete has died suddenly. The story was carried by Quebec News and of course, uh, when they're in sports, you have a much better idea that absolutely they were jabbed. Um, another tragedy in Alberta, a firefighter age 41 and two RCMP police officers um, had to take the COVID-19 vaccines and they have died. So healthy people. Um, the other thing I want to say that I watched this weekend was this amazing video on cancer. And I kind of wanted to ask Dr. Bridal about it, but I wasn't able to. So it's called Suppressing a Cure for More Than 40 Years. We're still hearing about a lot of cancers. And this, I was, oh, like, they just want us to have cancer so that we can have to take their expensive protocols that they have for cancer. I mean, nothing's different if it's the vaccine or, you know, protocols for cancer. And this guy, Ber Berzniski, um, tells a, a documentary-style story of how he was curing cancer patient after cancer patient after cancer patient. 
and he had to he was taken to court by the FDA and sued. This is what happens. I mean, it's so corrupt. And the battle to bring his kind of um, um, help and a, a very good, it, it talks about the thing that he found in the blood that wasn't there for those that have got cancer and how he found a way to insert that into their blood and they would be cured. And amazing testimonials. The court drama is there. People very upset in the courts because now they're being denied getting that treatment because the FDA was going after them. Just absolutely phenomenal story. Um, number of positive influenza tests and percentages of tests positive by type, subtype, and report during the week uh, from 2022-35 to 2023-05. Um, what does that mean, 2022-35, JT? So... Um, did I put this in? So 2022, uh, so Dr. Teresa Tam, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, I didn't go up far enough, sorry, sorry. Uh, <clears throat> so unpredictable that it pretty much disappeared during COVID, I wonder why that is. And so this is the influenza came in. Yeah, so yeah, because you t you tweeted it, right? Okay, I I do so many tweets. And, all right, uh, 2022 influenza came in like a lion, but there is no telling how it will go out in 2023 because the one thing predictable about the flu is that it's unpredictable. Hmm. Yeah. Who who knows? It is a bit of a mystery in actual fact, isn't it? About uh, what may have happened. And so, as JT said, uh, I was on uh, Alex Newman's show today, and. If uh, you want to see that, he is absolutely incredible, Liberty Sentinel. And um, and he was advertising some of Mike Lindell's pillows and all of that. So you know that uh, Bed and Bath, uh, Bed, Bath and Beyond, uh, actually removed Mike Lindell's, um, all of his stuff, his pillows, his beautiful towels, bed sheets and all of that, removed it from their stores. Well... Documents filed to the Ontario Superior Court of Justice say the parent company of Bed Bath & Beyond has determined it no longer is able to provide financial and operational support to its Canadian arm. So it's going bankrupt. Yeah. So, um, uh, and uh, Ottawa Radio is talking about shutting down because it is a one-year um, anniversary from... Uh, the Freedom Convoy last year, and they're talking about shutting everything down. Be sure to check in on all that we put up on my uh, Twitter account because I am, I'm putting up stuff, and clearly my husband's putting up stuff. Sometimes I put, when I look at it, I go, what, what does that tweet mean? And if you ever don't know what it means, it's, I didn't put it up. <laughs> he says, he's, he goes, I'm just trying to increase your, your, your broad, you know, broaden your base, right? Some people might be interested in what he puts up. So I don't know. My name's Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson and my website is lauralynn.tv. Thank you very much for joining us today. And, uh, thank you for all of your support, your kindness, your prayers. Uh, I wasn't on Thursday and Friday last week because I was dealing with a court issue and one day I'll probably tell you about it, but I'm not going to talk about it right now. But, um, uh, I do think that uh, we're under fire. We're under fire for a lot of different reasons. And when you do a show like mine, sometimes um, issues come up. So yeah, say a prayer. It's all right. I'm all good. Um, I want to read to you from Second Peter 2 today. Um, 
It's, it starts with false teachers and their destruction. So 2 Peter 2, it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, wow, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, Noah the righteous dude, Noah, who had the godly family, Noah, whose family followed the ways of God and repented and were in deep grief about the ways of the world. A preacher of righteousness, it says about Noah, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, in brackets it says, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Is that not an amazing passage? Second Peter 2, you should read it again in your quiet time. I'm gonna mark it all up right now so that when my children when my children are looking at uh, my Bible when I've passed away, they'll say, this is what mom thought was important. And when you see that it outlines how God always deals with unrighteousness, there is judgment coming. Some of it might be reserved until after we die, after Jesus returns. But some of it will come back to this earth. Some of it, God will bring justice and judgment the way he did in Noah's day, the way he did in Sodom and Gomorrah. How much more this passage is saying will God deal with the unrighteous, those who have sinned? And it clearly states that he is able to rescue the righteous. He knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. So do you know what that means to me? Good news. Because I find myself walking in the righteousness of God. His righteousness, not mine. So I'm protected and so are you. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. 
You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.